Hey there, I'm Pete Townsend, and this is Money Never Sleeps. We look inside the minds of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. In this episode, I'm joined by my first guest co-host in the post-Owen era, Laura Walsh. Laura and I worked together closely for the past two years on the Techstars Web3 Accelerator, and she's an angel investor, advisor, founder, Web3 OG, and friend. I'll link all of her details into the show notes so you can get in touch with Laura. In this Money Talk segment, Laura and I step through the likely outcomes, some widely agreed, others more hopeful, of the recent SEC ruling in favor of Grayscale that many expect will open up the floodgates for the trillions of institutional capital currently on the sidelines of crypto. We also look at the positioning of NFTs, or dynamic digital assets as Laura calls them, as the core technology to drive more expansive yet personalized loyalty programs for big brands and sports teams all with the help of Pet Barisha's Sporting Crypto Newsletter. Laura also gives us a rundown on two new venture capital funds focused on Web3 from MoonPay and Vessel Capital. And we also exercised our right to question what the heck is Elon Musk up to now? All right here on Money Never Sleeps. But listen, Laura Walsh, this is your second time on the show, but it's your first yes, time it doing this Money Talk segment with me. So it is. This is honored new. to have you on as our first guest co-host of Money Never Sleeps in the post Owen Fitzgerald era. Uh, the honor is mine. Owen has huge shoes to fill and I don't think any of our particularly sure if any of the guest hosts can fill them, but I don't think I can. <laughs> He's got massive shoes to fill. He is up for an award, which the National FinTech Awards that are being held the 14th of September. I'll be unable to go because I can't just I can't get around that well. And but it's him and my Santa Maria were both nominated for public servant of the year. Oh, but they're both such lovely people. I know. <laughs> How do you choose? I don't. Sophie's choice. You can't choose. You cannot I, I, choose. Yeah. So so shout out to both Owen and to my and good luck to the two of them. I wouldn't call them my kids. Definitely, I'm younger than both of them. Sorry. <laughs> I'm older than both of them. <laughs> but it's like, you know, rooting for your kids playing against each other in a game. So. I just hope everyone has fun. Absolutely. No, it's it's at this place called the Mansion House, I think. So everybody's going to have fun. It's a black tie event. So Very I had nice. two wonderful invitations that I had to decline. One from our friends at DeFactor Lab, so Alejandro mm -hmm. Gutierrez, shout out to Alejandro and to Neve Lenahan, but also Patrick Pinchmidt at Middle Game Ventures also invited me and I had to decline that as well. But hey, it, it's good for my foot in the long run, right? Yep. Save your stamina for another day. Absolutely. Laura, anything you wanted to share before we get started? Yes, because I listened to your episode with Owen when you were talking about our epic escape to New York. Yes. And the anecdote about me meeting Vitalik in Waterloo. <laughs> I had my AirPods in and I was sitting at my kitchen table and we were in Canada for the summer and I was sitting at my kitchen table and, and you said, oh, well, you know, we could have got him to talk to with her. I was like, Pete, you asked. I told you what I said. I because didn't... I terrified the poor man. And I don't know if he listens to this. So I apologize. I, I felt so bad. And I was not prepared, which I should be because I'm telling companies to always have your elevator pitch ready. Founders, hey, be ready because the opportunity could be there at any time. I just honestly did not expect Vitalik to be walking off of my floor while I'm getting off on my floor to go to my room. Him to be coming into the elevator. Nobody else around. So yep. I could have made a bigger ass of myself. But I just literally, it was like, oh, you really exist. You're a person. Somebody you've only seen in conferences or on websites or videos and it's oh hi and i just literally was my usual ott self and i was like the dally guy and he was oh, oh my god <laughs> he literally flattened himself against the elevator wall and you know i went oh no i did introduce myself i did but i there's no way i was just like a lot of tech stars and he's like what yeah <laughs> it's really nice to you and i just went oh shut up shut up in my own head i'm screaming at myself shut up shut up what are you doing or at I least know. hey say that you're who you're here with ask him to the dinner and it just he looked so terrified i was like i can't do this to this poor man i'm i've scared him i have literally you know yeah i'm pretty sure he should have security around him now because there's you know wild women in the elevator just yelling at him 
hello and he's like whoa you know so it went, oh but Laura, i my canadian took over my canadianness took over and i just kept a pause sorry 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 and i sorried my way to my room and yeah. then died a bit i was like oh. oh i i felt so terrible and when i, I said so that to bad. owen on the podcast i thought i was saving your soul of it by saying by not telling the story and just by saying she might have been able to get him to, you no, know, to, to join no us. Way. But it was like, imagine if you said to him what I said to Bono when I met Bono, which was kind of similar thing. Walking into a bar, I'm like, our eyes met. I'm like, yeah. extended my hand. I'm like, hello. <laughs> yeah. Hi. I, I, I said, hello. You've brought so much joy to my life. I'm a big fan. I just wanted to say thank you. My name is Pete Townsend. And he looks at me and smiles and slaps me on the shoulder and says, yeah, right. And he walks right past me. He didn't believe oh, no. that my name was because Pete Townsend. Because your name was Pete Townsend. Exactly. Oh, my God. And then I tried to get a picture with him, a selfie. And Googie, his He's buddy, like, no, not you. is like, no, if, if we do it with you, we have to do it with everybody. Mm-hmm. And I had I saw him whispering to Googie just after he you know walked past me. like Because Googie just looked at me like, all right, yeah, he's, he, he's on the Yeah, he's list. going now. Or yeah. this guy thinks he's Pete Townsend. He's yeah. like way off his rocker. Totally, yeah. he's hammered. But if, <laughs> if you had said that to Vitalik, Vitalik, hello. You brought so much joy to my life. I'm such a big fan. <laughs> yeah. Then, so what you said was fine. It was yeah, I really love the badger dance. <laughs> there you go. Do you really only wear Uniqlo clothes? Oh. oh yeah. I just I saw the terror in that man's eyes, and I went, "Oh, I can't. Oh, I can't. I, I could not do that because oh, that's just that's just wrong." Okay. I don't know if he's neurodivergent, but I I was like, he's "I am." Something. So. Yeah, I am. So I recognize it in somebody. I'm like, oh, no, that's a no. OK, I he's going to have a panic attack or something. I need to leave this poor man alone. Oh, I read Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors over the summer and he and it was written in 2017. And Vitalik mm. was one of the people that submitted answers to the five or six questions that Tim asked everybody who responded. Oh, the book. wow. And it was very much like hearing a robot respond yeah. or not, not a robot but an ai program that you're engaging with chatbot mm-hmm. and having these very measured logical mathematical responses and i'm like wow that's deep and then there was three or four more crypto people that were also responding to those questions from tim ferris same thing and it's like yeah. reading them is almost like trying to de- depict a mathematical proof the geometry ones where it was more mm-hmm. logical based that i used to love way back in the day but that was it so there's something going on there. There's something that's going on there enabled him to create Ethereum. So I'm, yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to fall I mean, he's done amazing things. So I yeah. do apologize for ambushing the poor man. You'll get um, another chance if you keep going. Lord, I'm sure I will. I'm you sure will. I will. And I'll, will. I won't be so scary. But listen, I've been chopping at the bit to talk about this with somebody. And okay. this is the grayscale yes. result. And this has been a very long ordeal that's been going mm-hmm. on for a while. And Grayscale run the Bitcoin trust, okay? Yes. And that it is not an exchange-traded fund. And there are some mechanical reasons for how a trust operates versus how an exchange-traded fund that would operate that we're not going to get into today, mm-hmm. that it would make it a lot more beneficial and a lot more widely marketable if Grayscale were able to do this. Never mind, we have Fidelity, we have BlackRock, we have Invesco, Wisdom Tree, Arc, Vanek, a bunch of others all lined up to Valkyrie and Bitwise. I exactly. Think. And Invesco. Yeah. You said Invesco Galaxy, right? Yeah. I said Invesco, guys, but yeah. not Galaxy. Pick, yeah, thank Invesco you for Galaxy. <laughs> so all that have filed applications with the SEC to launch a mm-hmm. Bitcoin ETF. And the SEC's concerns all this time, and those applications are still on hold, and we'll get to that in a minute. The SEC have has long been pushing back on these, saying that the market is manipulatable, if that is a word, and that the prices are manipulatable. So how could you rely on that? And what has been approved in the past is the Bitcoin futures ETFs. So same reference price. And that was the crux of the case that Grayscale was saying. We want to convert this to an exchange-traded fund. And the SEC said no. So Grayscale said, we're going to turn around and we're going to sue the SEC for this, something called the Administrative Procedures Act for making arbitrary yep. and capricious decisions. And mm-hmm. the Supreme Court, was it the Supreme Court? No. The court ruled, the judge ruled court that- Court of Appeals yes, in, in, the, in DC. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. That- the SEC was being arbitrary and capricious. 
and I saw mm-hmm. a wonderful follow-up tweet. I forget who it was. Sorry, a post on X. I, it's going to take me a long time to say that. I will never say that. I'm sorry. I will never say it. I, I said to my kids, let's call it something new. Let's call it Twixer and <laughs> as a crossover. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that with you, dad. Yeah. But the, the follow-up tweet was a young toddler saying to his father that, dad, you withholding those blueberries this morning was both arbitrary and capricious. Well done. Yes. So well done. we're getting going in the right direction on this. And there's a lot more to dig into on it. But opening thoughts from you? It's about time, honestly. And everything that's come out of this SEC in the last, I'd say, two years has not been, let's say, Web3 friendly in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Bitcoin, stablecoins, the recent uh, action against that NFT issuer, Mm-hmm. Operation Choke Point 2.0, the advice letters sent to banks to please not basically handle anything in crypto or any company that engages in crypto. It's good to see the, which I'm probably, I'm sure you're probably going to get to. The concern is the BlackRock filing. The all of a sudden BlackRock's thrown their hat into the ring. And to be fair, Gensler saying that, oh, well, you know, you can manipulate the price and you can do this to anything with a Bitcoin ETF to see BlackRock get in there. And people have their eyes on this because they're anticipating a favorable treatment for BlackRock. And that's my cautiously optimistic, but realistically, I don't know. What they've done is that they push back on the BlackRock and Fidelity and everyone else's applications till mid-October. Mm-hmm. And that is in alignment with the 45 days that the SEC have to appeal the decision on the Grayscale case. So let's wait till October. But I just don't see a way for the SEC to continue to maybe they could delay it further, but have a legitimate pushback. Now, they already did push back on these. Mm-hmm. And they said that they would like to see a surveillance agreement in place on the reference price being used and who is going to be monitoring that. And I think Coinbase have stepped in to provide that surveillance service. I think they are doing that in alongside the CME um, who trade the Bitcoin futures. So they already have kind of the market infrastructure in place in order to do that surveillance on the market to be able to say, yes, the prices that are coming in are legit. So I think Mm -hmm. that will they find another reason to push back? Aside to uh, who knows, but it was a big step in the right direction. I think it was Paul Grewal from who is the Coinbase CLO, chief legal officer, who I've had breakfast mm-hmm. with. He's a really nice guy. And he said, it's a great moment for the industry. While we still believe comprehensive federal crypto legislation is the best way forward, decisions like this are an important step towards the clarity the industry needs. It's a piece of the puzzle, not the end all be all. That last sentence is my add in to that, not his quote, mm-hmm. right? This is a big piece of the puzzle. Now, I think what's going to happen here over the long term, and Owen and I talked about this back, I think it was episode 212. I, I've been looking at all the news around this, right? Everything that's coming out. And if you look at who's publishing it, you get where it's coming from. So the FT will take mm-hmm. one angle because they are they know who their audience are, traditional finance, who are trying to preserve their life as big players in the industry. And so they're going to take one angle. I did see an angle yesterday from someone, I forget who it was, that was like, listen, this kind of, this whole compartmentalization of Bitcoin into ETFs goes against the grain of the decentralization spirit mm. of Bitcoin. And mm. I, but I'm okay with that for now. Here's why. What I expect to happen is for when these do get approved, when Grayscale gets is approved to flip from a trust to an ETF, when BlackRock, Fidelity, all the rest get approved, there's going to be at least, I'd expect, $500 billion worth of institutional capital that would be poured into these Bitcoin ETF strategies over the next two to three years. Hmm. And that is because if... Crypto, Bitcoin specifically, the biggest 70% of the crypto market between Bitcoin and Ethereum, if that is viewed as a major asset class in the universe of asset classes out there, then institutional allocators should be allocating to Bitcoin. 
And that is the science. And if that starts to take hold in things like retirement funds and other big institutional funds, such as endowments and charities, if their economists are saying you need to allocate here, then there is demand for it. However, those institutional investors are restricted from investing in anything that is not regulated. So Mm -hmm. if you put an ETF wrapper around Bitcoin, it then becomes a regulated asset. Okay. Hopefully more regulation will come in the U.S., to such as the U.S. version of MICA, which is the EU mm-hmm. crypto regulation, that what will happen is that perhaps in four or five years time, we won't need the ETFs anymore and that the institutional allocators will be able to go direct and will be able to buy crypto rather than paying 2% because that's in effect what they're doing is they're paying a 2% management fee. Management fee, yeah, for the for bucket of assets. Yeah. The big asset managers mm-hmm. buy Bitcoin and hold it in a fund for these institutional investors to invest in because they're buying into shares of a fund. They don't Mm -hmm. have to go through the complexities of buying crypto directly. So I think we're going to have a four to five year run here. It's crazy looking at it this way because these things haven't even launched yet, but we still have DVD players, right? We still haven't have, we still even have VCRs. And to me, holding Bitcoin in an old school style investment fund that has been running in the same framework for the last 20 years for ETFs, even beyond that, is downloading your software and putting it in a cardboard box and storing it there overnight. It's just, it's nonsensical. But mm-hmm. for crypto adoption, for all of this to take off, I mm-hmm. think is it is a necessary step in order to gain this more universal acceptance of crypto as an asset class. So I'm obviously a big fan of where this is going. Yeah, there's a couple of things with this I can see the the positive and the, and the negative it, obviously it makes a lot of sense to people who aren't one familiar with anything that uh, digital assets are and are let's say gun shy in a way of yeah. uh, of dipping their toe in dipping their toe in but not only that we have not made it we as an industry has not made it easy nor attractive for anyone who is not in the industry to put their money in just invoke the devil now and say ftx anyhow yeah. Um, because when you said pension funds, I remember the Ontario Teachers Pension Fund was one of their biggest investments was in FTX and they lost it all. So when you're talking about pension funds, some pension funds have ventured forth and have riskier, let's say, investments. But with the implosion of FTX and 3AC, they're way more gun shy now. They're way more tentative to put money into anything that could even be considered nascent in the financial world. But also, what is Bitcoin? Is it a commodity? Is it an asset? And the U.S. still hasn't decided on what they what it is. Is it under CFTC or is it under the SEC? A lot of people would argue the SEC does not have jurisdiction over digital assets because they have more commodity-like attributes and characteristics than it does the monetary asset. But that'll depend on whatever I'm guessing, I'm not American, but I'm guessing whatever that bill moving through Congress, I'm guessing that will, That's what the I'm outcome of that bill, yeah, the outcome of that bill will determine the regulatory arena in which Bitcoin and other digital assets will yeah, play. Yeah, very much in like in, in Europe where we started with the virtual asset service provider regulation, which was equivalent really <laughs> to the money services bureau or money transmitter <laughs> license type of licenses that are available in the US, which is basically you need to do your AML KYC um, and monitor for money laundering. And, Mm -hmm. but specifically geared towards crypto service providers, the the VASP framework is. And so the US needs to do that first, right? And get a Mm -hmm. VASP-like regime in place. And I think one one of the bills that's being proposed to go through right now would do that, at least the first part of it, but then take it to the much bigger level, like, Europe is done with MICA and where that is more expansive across defining what assets are, defining what the jurisdiction is, there's a lot more to it and the U.S. needs to follow suit. Yeah. I think eventually once that happens, then you will have the ability and the comfort of institutional investors to look at crypto as long as the, the service providers who you're engaging with to buy and sell crypto are regulated. And mm-hmm. that's where this is going. It's the service providers who will be regulated, much in the same way that a fund can be looked at as a service provider. An asset manager running a fund and their administrator, their custodian are a bunch of service providers together, and they're all regulated. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's why adding this layer in makes institutional investors feel more safe than investing in a, a venture capital type strategy investment as in FTX, right? I think, again, it's going to be a long run. Where I really like this going, though, is that if we do really get this rising tide lifts all boats impact on crypto, like you said, crypto hasn't done a great job of making it easy for people to adopt this asset class. And a lot of it has to do with the user experience. I still, like I've got my Ledger X on my desktop messing around with that. And okay, I've got two wallets that I use actively. I use MetaMask. I use the Coinbase wallet. I use the Coinbase app. I'm just, I'm moving stuff around. I'm no expert. I know my stuff, but I'm no expert. And it's still a hassle and it's still some guesswork. If I want to use just the Coinbase app, that's easy. But if you want to do a lot more in terms of engaging truly into the Web3 world, you kind of have to move outside that. And you need Mm -hmm. that freedom to be able to authenticate yourself. And that then means self-custody. And that means a whole bunch of other stuff. If the rising tide lifts all boat impact becomes true, then what will happen is tons of more institutional money flowing into this, not only at the fund level, ETS, but also at the venture level Mm -hmm. to fund what we need to be the massive improvements in user experience to get the whole crypto experience from a 1982 Ford Escort with a missing sunroof, two-tone brown and tan like I had in high school, to the Tesla, right? Mm. The ergonomic experience in the cockpit and that wonderful surprise and delight you get combined with a unbelievably solar-powered electric engine. I don't know. I'm uh, over-engineering my engineering understanding here. (laughs) I don't know. I've been saying this for five years now, that if you're going to use crypto and you actually want adoption, it has to be like going onto Amazon and ordering something. And you don't know what's going on behind the Amazon Mm -hmm. app where you're ordering something. And to be frank, nobody really cares unless you're investigating Amazon warehouses. But for the average consumer buying something on Amazon, all they want to do is buy with one click and it goes where I want it to go. And I pay the way I want to pay, and that's it. It's a seamless experience. It shouldn't be, oh, hold on, I've got to put in this code and then that code and then this code and wait, I have to double check this alphanumeric 16 to 20, 32 character hexadecimal string of, I don't know Mm -hmm. what that is. Okay, let me check. Okay, then, yeah, I've done this for years. I've done this for years and years and years. I've I've been the manager of funds like this for protocols where I've had to do multi-sigs, make sure everything, and then track it. And we used Silvergate for a few years. And that was a nightmare because it was like using a bank in 1998, that level of Microsoft database, and you didn't approve within 24 hours. It's I'm in a different time zone, you know. So that is not helpful. And if we actually want adoption, it has to be so easy to use that you didn't even know it's you're using it. Exactly. But you can't sacrifice the security. And I think that's, I think might've gone too fast in one way and security just fell off. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and that's been always the, the fine line you need to walk between security and usability. Mm-hmm. And as our friend Jesse Phillips at Trustware <laughs> says, the USA of crypto, which is kind of funny given where all this yep. is stemming from, usability, security, <laughs> know. and accessibility. Accessibility, so, yep. shout out to Jesse. All right, hey, listen, we've done this one to death, so let, let's move on. But in, in the nature of going beyond crypto, more into the world of Web3, this is from Pet Barisha. And shout out to Pet. I've given <laughs> him a shout out before. I've known Pet since 2017 when he was helping to produce one of the very first podcasts I was on. Or he was a producer along, alongside one of his colleagues. And the first one I did with 11FS and stayed in touch with him. He's now doing his own thing, the Sporting Crypto Newsletter. He's building a community around that. It's a consultancy. And so this is his weekly column, Sporting Crypto, and generally gets into Mm -hmm. what sports brands are doing in the Web3 space. But the the title of this week's edition is Web3 Loyalty, Buzzword or Breakthrough. And that just to tee this one up, 2021, 2022, there was so much interest in NFTs. And mm-hmm. NFTs in terms of, and you know the story, Laura, and the, yep. <laughs> the board boys buying apes, whatever you want to call it. And we started out with this kind of 
JPEG plus type, but mm-hmm. legitimately was being built around being part of a tribe, being part of a community and the toxicity of it, the non-toxicity of it, who knows? But I don't think it was, like you said, very productive in terms of helping to drive crypto adoption because people just no, looking at it. Yeah. Like, what was that? Then we moved into, okay, now we can do a bit more with this and that people moving into things such as using this for token gated experiences and mm-hmm. that you can get access to, say, a presale for your favorite band's new gig with mm-hmm. this NFT that you hold and you authenticate yourself when you go onto the ticket website and you can buy, you can get access to the presale because you are a legitimate true fan of, of this mm-hmm. of this band. And now along all of that, the big brands became very much interested in this. And we've seen Nike and Adidas and tons of others do a lot in this space. But now it's going to the next level with Starbucks. And we've ta- I've talked about this before, again, with others on the podcast and Starbucks doing their NFT driven loyalty program. But like you said, yeah. to Starbucks drinkers, if you want to call them that, they don't know there's yeah. an NFT in the background, right? It's, no. it yeah. should be a, a digital experience. So can we actually move this space forward and say that with the ability to own your own assets in a decentralized way, and I don't think the average consumer cares about whether it's decentralized or not. It's just what's the impact of that you can do if your loyalty points are something that you can then do something else with. But what Pet is trying to say here is that there's been so much done in the NFT space. And to quote him, he said, I've said this before, but NFTs were furniture without a house to furnish. Sports teams still have this issue. And again, coming at this from a sporting angle. Yeah. Many have licensed digital collectibles, a fan token, Web3 gaming partners, and so on. But there's no aggregated dashboard that fans can use to interact with all of these things. This begs the question, that dashboard that, say, sports fans need for all their digital collectibles that are NFT driven, whether it's tokens, whether it's uh, video moments, whether it's uh, exclusive picks and whatever, can that same type of white label experience that someone needs to build, can that also be used for loyalty programs? And is that even the way to do it? There's there's a way to go here. And I think the NFT term will just float off into the into the ether, no pun intended. But where do you think this is going in terms of using NFTs for loyalty programs, whether that be for big brands or sports? I don't like the term NFT anyway, as you know. I, I know. <laughs> dynamic digital assets or something, please. Yeah. And if I see another really ugly 10,000 run JPEG, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> but like, loyalty in Web3 has been going on for a really long time. That's even before NFTs came into the picture, really. I worked with a protocol back in 2017, 18 that was doing provenance and tracking and, and things with QR codes and putting that up on the chain and it's basically it's provenance you can track this goes to room a to room b to room c and you could say that's not loyalty it's still like a it it also was tied to luxury brands so a limited edition watch so you're still building a community around it and you're right it's a bit tribal but it's all all about building communities around these assets and whatever the assets are. Now, I don't have experience with the Starbucks thing because I think they only released that in the states. Yeah, and yeah, yeah I haven't been, I haven't been going to Starbucks in the states. <laughs> We're still using QR codes here in Thailand and the scans on your phone. But the way Reddit did it as well, I had no idea that I was. Oh, look, I'm making my, I'm customizing my, my NFT or my dynamic digital asset here, and this is my avatar. I've seen digital avatars before. I've used them in like a company I started. We use them for people who are gaming and start your own avatar. Loyalty is very interesting and there's a lot of different ways to do it. I know you like the soulbound tokens and that's one way to, that's a verification of who you are and you are who you say you are and your experience is what you say it is. I find that a bit tricky and a little bit world coiny. So I'm not the biggest fan, but I'm happy to learn more and be proven wrong. But Loyalty is all about building a community. And while I don't like board apes, I, I don't, and I'm probably going to a lot of hate for this, but it's just, it's not my vibe and, that, and that's yeah, fine. No, I'm, I'm with if you. somebody else's vibe, if somebody else's vibe, knock yourself it's out, just like Burning Man. Yeah. 
Yeah. Burning Man's not my vibe, but that's fine. But the other side, when the other side came out and they all lost their minds. And so there are things to do. And even if you have this picture, what it seems what they did is they made the monkey pictures. And they're like, pardon my French, but oh, shit. Now we've got to do something else because. Yeah. Oops. Like, you can't just have a monkey picture. And then so what do we do? It wasn't part of a master so they, plan to do this whole community. No, no. Obviously, they got celebrities on Fallon and they're all like, I'm gifting you this. And they marketed it very well. They did very well because they just to hear Paris Hilton have one here, Justin Bieber have one here, somebody else have one or I'll buy it. So it looks like you bought it, so on and so forth. But it got the hype high enough that people really wanted to be in this. But it's all it is all about building community. I find that community toxic because I find it's really gatekept and it's just full of the people you don't really want to be around, yeah. to be honest. But there are people doing it a lot better. But adding all these things onto the apes and using the apes as the access key makes sense to me. It does. It makes sense to me. That makes perfect sense to me. And like the company we were advising before were yep. using memberships and digital memberships. You don't have to know that's an NFT. It's just a digital membership. Just like my Qatar Airways card is digital on my app. That could be a digital asset. It is a digital asset. So it's just, to be honest, whether it's on a blockchain or not, it's really not that, it, it's not that deep, really. Yeah. It's not that deep. There's way, and, and there's community experts that can get into this way better than I can. But, but what I'm seeing like Adidas and Nike do with swoosh and, and all that, it's just still, it's still quiet and it's small. Do you know what I mean? It's not a big enough push behind it or maybe i'm just not seeing it because i'm not immersed in north yeah. american culture anymore but it's not being pushed but the way to push it is not to say hey web 3 web 3 and do the web 3 dance no, absolutely not you, you can absolutely say web 2.5 or you just don't have to say anything don't i don't know anything. why it's we have crutch. to label it it's yeah we don't have to label anything or if they're just saying if they're saying web 3 right now what it's nobody wants to say web 3 right now anyway it's like verbatim it's just say it's a digital asset or it, it's the, when they're saying web three, it's like they want to, it's like, a, it's like almost like a dog whistle. I'm going to tap into these DGENs who are still buying Miladies or sorry, all the Miladies are bought and they're into the Miladies or the pudgy penguins or whatever you want to, whatever community you want to belong to. And we'll try to pull them into our area and get them to buy it as well. Don't see any benefit really in saying web three. Yeah, no, there's not. There's not. You need to, and, and it's like saying blockchain in 2017, 2018. You just yeah. remove it. And if you're pitching yourself, you cannot have on the front page of your deck, we are Web3 powered, we are Web3 integrated, we're nothing. You, mm -hmm. you just got to leave that behind. And it's not just because of some of the negative sentiment coming from non-Web3 VCs, or sorry, VCs that don't invest in digital assets, whatever you want to call it, that, that would have only invested before in these in these startups because of the perceived upside and quick flip and all of that mm -hmm. go that was going with this in 21 mm -hmm. 2022 but just because it's sensible not to rely on any technical terms your yep. reference to your technology should be at the end of your deck it's not even included in decks anymore you no unless you need slide. a technical deck unless you need a technical deck you don't need to actually mention the underlying tech unless it's nascent or new or you've cracked something that is yours and yours alone yep Absolutely. I, I think where what I want to see, though, and this is where Pet was going with this, was I, mm -hmm. I want to see two things. One, I want to see that app that can house all of my digital collectibles across okay. different brands. And yeah. so that I can engage with those things. If I'm buying Nike NFTs, if I'm buying Dot Swoosh, if I'm buying Adidas, if I'm buying whatever, to be part of that community and say, hey, I just got this really new, cool pair of classic Adidas Samba that I used to wear in high school and they're blue suede instead of black leather. Awesome. Love mm -hmm. it. And Hey, I want to express myself around that. Can I do that around the fact that my wife just got me a pair of Air Jordans for Christmas and I want to see all that together and have the, the digital version of that. I may not do that, but there's a lot of folks who, who probably would. So I want to see that app, that super app that just mm -hmm. condenses all of that because it's just way too clunky right now. I also want to see that same app be used to collect because they're digital assets as well, loyalty points across different brands that are that are leveraging the non-fungible token technology in order to be able to engage and reward loyalty 
Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think it was, I think that's where this is all going. Could it happen as part of this uplift with the rising tide lifts all boats? But we're tying, we're bridging a lot of things together here. But do you think that's more of, I don't think that's a technological barrier. I think it's a brand barrier. Yeah. The brands don't want like, no, this is my little patch and I don't want anyone in on my patch. I think that it's not a, I don't actually think it's a technological barrier dependent upon the standard they're using for their non-fungible tokens, basically. So if they're all the same standard or even if they're compatible, there shouldn't be a technological barrier. I think mm-hmm. it's a, it's more of a brand reputation. I think that's the conclusion. Speaking of Web3 VCs, that they're still launching funds. You found a couple of stories there that you wanted to, I to dig into. On. I've been talking to our two cohorts, actually, over the last couple of weeks about everyone fundraising. Again, shout out Techstars Web3 Accelerator and having conversations. And while people are doing well, it's it's rough out there, man. And it's mm-hmm. not just Web3 VCs. It's the AI hype cycle seems to be you know, go in the way of the dodo already. Already, Um, yeah. Yeah, because somebody I was talking to who has an AI startup who's been in stealth for a year and a half. I'm like, eh, they don't think they're ever going to come out, basically. It's nah, that's past, and the big guys are into it, so we've way too far to catch up. But yeah, there's two funds that I saw announced, which seem to be rather not super mature, but like the fund Vessel, they just came out of stealth with $55 million Mm -hmm. fund. And oddly enough, they invested in a project here in Thailand that I know the people from there and I know they raised like $63 million right at the start of the crash of everything. So it was, I was like, oh man, guys, your timing is impeccable. (laughs) Wow. I still don't know what they do. (laughs) (laughs) I find it amazing. I still don't know what you do. it's, It's like an index of guilds. For okay. Web three games, okay. I'm like, okay, I get that. You can. Do I don't that. get the monetization. You can do that. I do not understand the monetization aspect, but okay, fill your boots. And they invested in Coin ninety eight, which is popular in Southeast Asia, but like the the founders seem very young, which is fine. It's it's Web three. Everybody's I'm an old fart in, in Web three anyway, <laughs> so to see these young guys going is great. So it's three guys, but they seem to have met around uh, Injective Injective Labs. Yep. So an injective uh, protocol, which I don't know much about, to be honest. So one of the co-founders is the head of BD there, and the other one is the CEO at Injective Labs. So there's some kind of cross-funding there. And one of the other co-founders is uh, the CEO of Burnt, or co-founder of Burnt, which was funded by Injective. There's a lot of cross. Totally. Your network in Web3 is basically... (laughs) <laughs> where is everything. It's everything. But they do have 55 million. They've invested in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 10 or 11 companies so far. There's more than that. Sorry, I didn't go through their entire portfolio because it goes down a bit more. Some I've heard of, some I have not. But they came out of stealth, I'd say, a couple of days ago to last week. Mm-hmm. So they are looking for projects. So that and MoonPay, actually. Moonpay announced yeah. a Web3 Ventures arm, and I'm a big fan of Moonpay. I like Moonpay. I use them a couple of times. It's a bit complicated when you're getting IP pings because, oh, wait, my IP is based in Thailand, but I'm in Canada, but I can actually use this if I'm in Canada, but my computer's still saying I'm in Thailand. Ah, oh, it's a nightmare. Right. But, but when it works, it works really well. But they've got, like, their investment thesis, obviously, they're much more, they've been around for a while, so they're much more comprehensive, and they have their investment thesis for three areas, for infra-gaming and fintech, which is still pretty broad, and it's yep. still good to see people at least really trying with gaming still. I know. I'm, gl- I'm glad to see it has not completely died, because I just still see it working so well, if, that's an if, you can get the, the players around it. Absolutely building communities yeah it's but it's not just community it's the it's the real bad time we had last year and the year before with gaming and web3 it just it was so sour and so nasty and there's no need there's no difference between buying something in Fortnite. like by i've bought a skin i've bought this with funds in the game and buying something in a web3 game the only thing is you can take that out of the game we don't have that technology yet where it's cross-usable but you can still take it out you still own it instead of oh i've paid i've paid this gaming studio and they own it 
And if they don't like what I did, they can just take all my, they can take my hit points, they can take my armor, they can take my weapons, they can take everything. Yep. I've spent thousands of dollars on this character and now whoop, gone. So I see an absolute synergy symbiosis with gaming and Web3 and it just shouldn't have gone as badly as it did. Yeah. Anyway, and, and I'm like off on said, my tangent. No, but. like you said, no, like you said, it should be technology that sits in the background behind all this. And, mm -hmm. that it sh and, and, and it shouldn't be, hey, do you want to play a Web3 game? It's like, nope. no, do you want to play nope. a game where when you buy a sword, you can actually, that you own that and you can sell it back or you can bring it with you. Now, like you said. Yeah, it, like nobody can take it from you unless yeah. you say, yeah, here, buy yep. it from me. Yep, Perfect. Exactly. Yeah, great. No, I like both of these and that MoonPay being corporate venture capital, right? When mm -hmm. it's in the the bleeding edge direction of technology, it's less old school corporate venture capital and more kind of, hey, we want to build and grow our ecosystem. And yeah. we want to seat at the table on these investments and yep. that the VP of corporate development and investments at MoonPay, that is Abe Mavalankar, that he said where they're really focusing is that mm -hmm. if you think you have a good idea, there's probably 10 plus teams working on it at any time, but yep. we're looking for teams who can execute those things. Mm -hmm. Right. And exceptional it, founders so and exceptional teams. Exactly. It's so true. Because it's like you get excited by so many good ideas and it's just don't tell me your idea. Tell me about you. Yep. I want to know, can you execute? Have you executed before? And I saw a pitch from somebody who shall remain nameless this week. And it's, I love the team. I hate the product. And it just don't do that. I actually said it to them. I think I got to be more do that, do something people. else. I said, I really love you guys as a team. You've got great background and I can see what you've done and built before. But please, I think you're capable of doing so much more <laughs> and hopefully they they do come back with some better ideas but but something yeah i think they're they might be too far gone too far down the pipe but th that's so true so if moon pay are digging in here wonderful mm -hmm. and the more they can bring to the space the, the better i'm seeing tons around people talk about infrastructure and fintech, yeah and it's that nice little crossover here and that all these rails have been built around moving value mm -hmm. started with that crypto just being an extension of fintech into a, 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 mm -hmm. a, a big interplanetary extension of fintech but it, it is uh, they're at least cousins um, but like what i'm seeing there vessel capital same but like you said these guys are doing other things as well yeah they're right? doing other things so i don't know if this is uh, their main focus obviously because they have other jobs however the announcement of any to to be fair it's so dire <laughs> and the way they worded it is being founders ourselves we're really keen on supporting founders and they've been through the journey of being a founder and building something what i got from their announcement was that they actually wanted to be value add vc rather than just writing a check and going away so okay. that remains to be seen however that's always positive noise rather than negative noise so yeah good to hear I that you know. I, I was encouraged as well by, I, I think it was, it was Mirza Uddin, the co-founder. He said, crypto has become more global. So it's not the same circle and group you might've seen in 2018, 2020. And we want to be able to help more people. Yeah. Great. Good. And yes, this yeah. uh, needs to expand beyond the group that was 2018 to 2021. Absolutely. 2018 to 2021, everyone's moved to AI now. Exactly. Except for me. <laughs> oh, oh man. I, yeah. I've seen so many, I've seen you companies. like a large language that, model for that were Web3 that were now every single bit of anything having to do Web3 has been completely eradicated from their website. Yep. And it, even in their URL, and their URL mm -hmm. never said Web3, but now their URL has AI in it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, Jesus. Yeah, if people are doing that, they're chasing a hype cycle. Just Very make good. sure you can build it. <laughs> the last thing that I know that you had in mind to talk about, Laura, it's what's Elon up to? Right? Oh, this could almost Elon? be a daily uh, podcast. This could be if what we're going to do. What What's Elon doing? What's Elon like, done today? What Bitcoin did with Peter? <laughs> yeah, what's exactly his name? With Peter McCormick. Peter he's McCormick. A guy. He, yeah, I like he's, Peter. What Bitcoin did? What Elon did? Right? Yeah, what Elon did? What did Elon do today? I'm not going to talk about his proposed lawsuit to the with the ADL. That's something for another day and another podcast, I think. But what he's doing is I think he released a tweet, and I'm still going to call it a tweet. I'm not going to say call it a skeet or whatever he says they're called now, that LinkedIn was cringe and out of date. And I keep remember, reminding myself that this is a 52-year-old man, but 
he says LinkedIn is cringe and nobody uses LinkedIn and LinkedIn is lame and old and uh, okay, great. So what they're going to do is they beta released a jobs slash hiring board. And what I saw was that Coinbase is actually testing this out. You have to be a verified company. So the verified company that counts are the ones with the gold badges. And I think they're like something like a grand a month. So you have to be part of that with the, and I think, I'm not sure. I read a couple of articles on it, but they didn't really go into deep detail because this is still in beta. I think you may have to have a certain amount of ad spend per month mm -hmm. because of his ad revenues. As he stated himself, it's down 60% in the USA. Yeah, I think there might be a, an ad revenue rider on that as well. You can put your jobs right out there on Twitter, which I am a heavy user, but I've kind of eased off a little bit lately because you'd, I don't like what he's done to it. Yeah, um, you're not the only one. Yeah, it's just I don't like, but Blue Sky hasn't really captured my, like you yeah. can't get all the people that are, in Twitter into Blue Sky because it's still invite and it's that's still running in beta and threads apparently just died. Threads came and then threads went. Gone. Um, gone. But I was reading some other articles on people trying to develop and actually this was a it was a Coinbase tweet as well talking about a Web3 job board, Web3 focused job boards. Now they do have Web3 focused job boards, but they were talking about tying it into soulbound tokens so you can verify your credentials. Yeah, I've seen so many problems. There's yeah. exactly, there's a lot, but I think it was Brian Armstrong talking about it. Like, why isn't this, why can't we have a Web3 job board? Dude, we do. We have a lot of them, but LinkedIn is still where most where people, people are go. going. It's a professional, it's their professional profile. Is it Facebook? Yeah, kinda. It's, it's boomery. Yeah, absolutely. But people have monetized it. They've added LinkedIn creators. People have still monetized this and people are still on there. And it's, I don't know, it's a bit grandfathered in. And I don't know how jobs on X will go or X hiring. It, it doesn't feel like it will. But mm. if this is part of the long term, and this was Elon's first acquisition after he bought Twitter was Lasky, which yeah. was this job board type app. And if his long term view of getting to WeChat is mm. what's at play here, there's a lot more that he has to do. There's tons more that he has to do. Oh, yeah. And this is just one step. So looked at the WeChat ecosystem before and talking about this at uh, about 20 episodes ago. And you've got social, you've got content, games, yeah. services, in terms of the, the public transportation type services, linked to your identity, shopping, mm -hmm. video. We could do a whole episode just talking about this. If he wants to go that far, this is just one piece of it. So I'm kind of like, okay, um, yeah, I see, I see where he's going with it, especially with all those money licenses he's been getting in each state falling like dominoes now. To be honest, he's never going to be WeChat because WeChat is the government oversight into WeChat is just omnipresent and he can't do that cross country. He just cannot. The level of integration of WeChat into the daily life of people who can use WeChat, you can use it outside of China. We have it in Thailand. Not that many people use it really, but if you can pay by Alipay, then you can use your WeChat yep. wallet, but government services and stuff. No, I, I don't see him going that way, but money. Yeah. I see him trying with money. He's really trying to bring back X oh, for definitely. PayPal. Actually, definitely. It's, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, no, he, he wants to go there. And I, I wanted to talk to somebody who had a better, a has a good experience with using WeChat and say, where could WeChat go? W would Elon be trying to build the WeChat of today? Or would he mm. be trying to build the WeChat of tomorrow and how far could it go? And what are the, the pieces that would let you get there? I was going to chat to Howie Young from Protico yeah. and he would probably have a pretty good view on this, especially in the Web 2 to Web 3 crossover point. And I will tiptoe it down the first steps of the avenue of Sam Williams telling me that Web 3 is the protocolization of web services. It has nothing to do with VRAR and all that. And that wow. could you actually protocolize, payments are already protocolized, file storage is already protocolized, it's all open source, but could you mm -hmm. protocolize everything that's involved with WeChat? And could you make that all open source and let people just combine it in whatever different combinations that they thought was going to be helpful to the ecosystem community they were trying to build? Yeah, go on some bigger thoughts here on this. That, that, is, a, that is a radical or blue morning, ocean type thing. Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs>
Wow. That is, yeah, that's, that's for another day, but that is a yeah, lot. So we'll yeah. See, we'll see where, how he gets me, gets me to with this. Cause he's been doing some cool writing on, on, on LinkedIn recently. It's not dead, mm-hmm. right? We, we know it. No, it's and not I, dead. Although Elon thinks it may be, and it seems to be making a little bit of a comeback, but there's still that annoying LinkedIn messenger that. Oh, um, I, oh I do not want people messaging me. Yeah. yeah. I hate saying that because there's so many lovely people I've actually interacted with on, on LinkedIn. So that's, that's not a hundred percent fair. It's the cold. Once in a while, the cold outreach is. Yeah. Like we'd love to have you as part of our network. I'm like, no, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not going to let you be part of my network. We've never met. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. You cannot be part of my network. (laughs) I think I'm way too, I'm way too nice. They're like, no, I sure, was. what can I do? And then I, I find out I can't do anything because I'm not investing right now. Oh, okay, sorry, I can't. Yep, I drew the line. I drew the line. John Hill, shout out to John Hill from Dexars. He's like, Pete, draw the line. You don't want to let anybody else in if you've never met them or you've never had an exchange with them. Mm-hmm. And Good unless advice, you plan John. to, unless that outreach yeah. is the trigger to talk to somebody and say, hey, we're going to set up a call. Let's connect on LinkedIn because we're about to chat. So true. Great. Job done. Okay. So Laura, listen, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's been awesome having you with us as we piece through these stories for the first time without Owen. So I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to do this again. Thanks so much, Pete. Thank you for letting me be the first. And thank you, Owen, for putting such big shoes to fill. It was fun. Thanks, Laura. Thanks. That does it for this week, folks. And you can learn more about the stories we covered in the show notes on our website, moneyneversleeps.ie. Thanks to Laura Walsh for the awesome insights she shared in co-hosting this episode with me. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as it helps others to find the show. Also, thanks to Conan Brophy from Create Sound for mixing and editing this episode. Conan is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I'm an early stage startup investor focused on where fintech meets crypto and crypto meets Web3, and I lead the Techstars Web3 Accelerator. There are plenty of links in the show notes on moneyneversleeps.ie and how to get in touch with us, so don't hesitate to reach out. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See you! Money never sleeps, pal.